Welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast, where you will hear transformational stories, positive encouragement, and practical strategies to help you grow your mindset, reach your potential, live your dreams, and experience a purpose-driven, impact-filled life. Here's your host, Alan Blaine. All right, this is Alan Blaine, and I'm very excited to bring to you our special guest today, my good friend, Robbie Gallaty. Robbie Gallaty is the senior pastor of Long Hollow Church here in Hendersonville, Tennessee. Robbie completed his Master's of Divinity degree in expository preaching in 2007 and his PhD in preaching in 2011 from New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. Robbie is the author of numerous books and also provides a wealth of discipleship resources through Replicate Ministries. When he's not serving at Long Hollow, you might find Pastor Robbie hanging with his family, communicating on his ham radio, cutting and measuring wood in his wood shop, out on the nearest disc golf course, or cheering for LSU. Robbie is married to Candy, and they have two sons, Rig and Ryder. Robbie, welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast. I'm super thrilled you're here with us this morning. Well, thanks for having me. Hey, it's a privilege to be on with you. And I think you encapsulate everything this podcast is about, what I've looked into and seen from you. I mean, I've known you about four years now and just love your heart for helping others succeed and just out of your brokenness and your success. And so it's an honor to be here for sure. Well, I appreciate it. Would you mind just starting off just sharing? I mean, I read your bio, but can you just elaborate a little bit more on your background and who is Robbie Gallaty? So I'm going to condense a long, long story. I was actually raised in New Orleans, Louisiana, went to an all-boys Catholic school, really because I got in trouble and asked to leave my elementary school. And mom and dad said, we're going to put him in a, a school where the brothers will paddle him if he gets out of line, right? And so I got a scholarship to play basketball at Division One school in North Carolina and decided to go close to home because of a girl I was dating. She said, there's no way you can go that far away. I'm going to LSU. And so I literally opened the phone book, found a college called William Carey College in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, which I never heard of at the time and called the coach up. He hesitantly let me try out, gave me a full ride by God's grace. And little did I know that I was going as a Roman Catholic at the time to a Southern Baptist college. And I say that to say, if you don't know what that means, I was the target of every evangelism class on campus, right? Who do we tell about Jesus? It's Robbie. And I heard the gospel many times, but I rejected it, but I heard it. And those seeds were planted, got out of college, got into MMA fighting. I actually at 19 years old, interesting side note, we've talked about this. I got introduced to network marketing. And at 19 years old, I had no money, but I had a lot of charisma, a lot of passion, but I had a father who had a contact list. And he said, son, if you work the contacts, I'll put up the money. And it was a network marketing business called ACN, American Communications Network, phone service, long distance, local. And I just really worked his list. And we broke all the records for that first year in the company. We moved the company from ACN to a company called LocalNet, run by Teddy Turner, Ted Turner's son. And Alan, it was amazing. God just blew up the company. I mean, I had at one point about 2,000 people in my downline with customers and people working. It was just unbelievable. At 21 years old, I thought I was going to be a millionaire. By 22, I was test driving F-355 Ferraris. I mean, I thought this was it. And because of a couple things that happened, the company went under. And it kind of left me in a place of questioning what I wanted to do in life. 
Although at the time I didn't know this, but God really was using those skills of teaching and public business meetings and empowering people that he would use those things I learned years later as I would become a pastor. But went through a season of depression. I couldn't handle a 22, losing everything, my job, my identity. And so I basically wanted to do nothing as far as business. I started to train, of all things, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, right? I wanted to be an MMA fighter. This is 1999. So you were in California, close to the UFC. This is not the UFC today, right? This is not making money. This is us training, and we didn't have enough money to pay for the hospital bills after the matches. It was crazy, but... I was a bouncer bartender for a season coming home from work, November 22nd, 1999, 18 wheeler rear ends me at 65 miles an hour into the guardrail, herniate two discs in my neck, two discs in my back. I go to the doctor. They send me home at 22 years old with Oxycontin, Valium, Soma, and Percocet. And if you're listening, you know the story, right? I mean, I'm addicted to pharmaceutical drugs within three months. I start going through the prescription in two weeks. And so I have to find a way to fulfill this insatiable desire. I have to get high. And I moved to street drugs. I take the business knowledge I learned in the network marketing world and I bring it into the drug world. And obviously, I mean, I just create this illegal import business. It's very successful. I mean, I'm trafficking ecstasy, GHB, Special K, marijuana, heroin, cocaine. I basically make tons of money at first, but you know how this works. I mean, I tell people, sin will always take you further than you want to go. It keeps you there longer than you want to stay. It costs you more than you ever want to pay. And so my addiction consumed my life. Long story short, I steal $15,000 from my family, $200 a day, heroin and cocaine addiction, two rehab treatments. And after I get out this second rehab treatment, I literally, and I'm not a religious guy. I'm not a Christian. I don't go to church, but I was desperate. And I thought, you know what? I might as well give Jesus a try. I tried everything else. And I have this 24-hour Paul-like radical conversion, but the day I was radically saved, he called me into the ministry. And I knew I was just going to be into the ministry and empower people and really be a spokesperson for him. And that was 20 years ago this year, which is crazy. November, 20 years ago, just a crazy God story. I got to pay back my parents the money I stole from them. I went to seminary. I was invested in by a guy named David Platt, who was a seminary student, became a best-selling author. And he encouraged me to get a PhD. I'm like, David, I don't even know English. How am I going to learn Greek and Hebrew and German? But anyway, by God's grace, I look back on those years and just see the handiwork of God to where I am today. That is incredible. And Robbie, if somebody wants to get the deeper dive into your story, which is incredible, and I should have grabbed it because I've got your book. I've got several of your books. I just forget, what's the name of the title of the book that tells your story? It's called Recovered, uh, How an Accident, Alcohol, and Addiction Led Me to God. And it really, I wrote the book for anyone who has a family member or a friend struggling to hear a story of victory over sin by God's grace and just how God has redeemed my life. And hopefully it's an encouragement to those reading. And it is an incredible story. And I think you did a fantastic job in a very short period of time, just giving a synopsis of your story. How old were you when you gave your life to Christ? Did you say 22? I got on drugs at 22. I surrendered my life to Christ at 26. 26. So yeah, 26 years old and got married at 27, met my wife, Candy, got married within 10 months. Then shortly after that, lost everything in Hurricane Katrina. You know, I tell people I didn't learn the first lesson of losing everything. So God's like, we got to give it to him again. So learn lessons through that as well. 
started pastoring in 2006, my first church. I was only a five-year-old believer. I don't even know how they called me. They're like, oh, we're desperate. We're that desperate. Let's give this guy a try. You know, God just blessed that work and then went to Chattanooga for a season, seven years. And then now in the Nashville area, going into my eighth year now. I'm going to, in a minute, I want to jump back to in your 20s and the struggles and the challenges and kind of take a deeper dive into that. But kind of fast forwarding before we do, just to set the context for what God has done in your life, in your ministry, and the impact that you've been able to have by God's grace over the past 20 years. Can you just share, because those that don't know who you are, wherever they are in the world listening to this episode, I know you're a humble guy. I've, I've known you for years. And I know you're not one to brag and talk about accolades, but just for everyone else's benefit, the size of the church that you lead, the books that you've written, just some of the things that God's blessed you and you know your life's work to do at to this point at 46 years old. Well, I think it'll help the context as we get into the conversation, just to give you a little backstory. So I've always had a passion to write just to kind of share as an outlet what God was doing in my life and the life lessons I learned. So since I became a believer, I would say I've written 12 books that are published book trade publications. With our ministry, I've produced with my wife, Candy, about 24 different resources, Bible studies and Bibles and different resources. I've been able to pastor three different churches, as I told you, and by God's grace, they've been successful by the world standards as far as numerically, but I've always focused on spiritually. God's always shown me, it's a great business principle, that if you focus on the depth of your people, I'll expand the breadth of your ministry, your organization. And so I've always known that. If I would focus on growing you, then we could reach the community rather than you coming to hear from me. So I've always known that principle. And then the church I pastor at Long Hollow, just an amazing church. I'm the fourth pastor here. Pastor before me grew the church from about 280 people, roughly to about 6,500, 7,000 over the course of 18 years. I followed a pastor who was beloved and just the congregation, the community looked at him kind of like the bishop of the town. And he dies at 51 of cancer. And you can imagine when you follow someone like that, number one, who's loved by the congregation, number two, who dies in the ministry, they, in a sense, become a martyr. And what I mean by that is very hard to talk about someone negatively. You kind of have a blind spot to the bad things. You only remember the good things. And so I say that to say anything I did differently was a shot almost at the previous pastor unknowingly. I didn't know I was doing this. And so the first two years at Long Hollow coming into this congregation were the hardest two years of my entire ministry. And we could talk about some of that later. But by God's grace now, going into the eighth year and feel like I had to go through that season of formation and leadership in order to get to where I am today. I love it. As I said before, I'm blessed to call you a friend and to be a part of the church that is impacting the world and our community and beyond. And it's, it's super exciting to see what God's done in and through many people in the church, including yourself. I didn't realize we have a lot more in common than I thought originally. I mean, I too had dreams of being an MMA fighter for a season. I didn't realize that was something that was so strong in your heart at one point in time. You said you got saved. At, you gave your life to Christ at 26. I was 28. So not too different in age. And like you, I think from what I just heard, I came to a place also in my life where it's like I had tried everything I knew to have peace and happiness and fulfillment, ultimately to have happiness and to enjoy life. I had a beautiful wife, the three children, the, the job I wanted. What else was there? There was nothing else. And so different stories, but we ended up, it sounds like at the same place, like, hey, I've tried everything else. 
to be happy. We also have addiction in common. And, you know, I still have a daughter, as you know, that's pushing 30 years old now and living on the street somewhere in Los Angeles by choice. There's plenty of people listening to this episode that are affected by addiction in one way or another, whether it's themselves or a spouse or a child or some loved one. What would you say to that person who's listening going, man, what would you say to someone who's just maybe struggling with hope? So the greatest lesson I learned through my addiction and just watching my parents and what I put them through, here's something I learned. If there is a perpetual drug addiction in the life of someone in your family or a daughter or a loved one, you can normally trace it back to an enabler in the home. So for example, for me, it was my dad. Normally it's a mom. And what I mean by an enabler is this is someone who loves the child so much or loves the husband so much or the family member that you think you're helping them by continuing to give them money or pay their rent or pay their phone bill or continue to take them in. And what I realized was there was only three avenues for an addiction, particularly a drug addiction. There are only three end results, jail, institution, or death. I mean, that's it. Sadly, in my own life, I've lost, when I was in the addiction, eight friends to drug and alcohol-related deaths. And since then, 18 friends have died. And I'm not talking now in like people I knew from a distance. These are people I went to school with, people I live with. These are friends I grew up with. And so here's what happened. My parents, in the midst of my addiction, when I had stolen $15,000 from them, my mom called me on the phone. Remember, dad's the enabler. Mom had a really tough life, lost her mom at 11. So she kind of had addiction in her family, knew the script. And she said, Robbie, we found out about what you did. Your dad is disappointed and I'm furious. Don't ever come to this house again. And I said, you know what, mom? I don't need you guys. Never did. And I hung the phone up and I took the little bit of money I had and spent it on drugs and alcohol. Lived without gas, electricity, and water for three months. We mastered the art of the cold shower. And people say, why would you do that? I mean, I got a college degree. I've been successful years before, but it had gotten so bad. Why'd you do that? I was more interested in getting high than paying the bills and went back and begged my parents to take me back in. And it was at that point of despair and at that point of hitting rock bottom that I turned to my parents and then ultimately turned to the Lord. And here's the principle I want to teach you. If you're listening, here's the principle. If you keep being their savior, Jesus never can be. And what I mean is sobriety without Jesus is always a dead end street. I mean, you'll have moments and seasons of victory and sobriety, but you won't have any long-term time. Why? Because it's a sin issue. It's an addiction issue. And I needed someone outside of myself to break me free from the sin that shackled me in the form of addiction. And so I ultimately had nowhere to turn that I turned to Jesus. And think about it. If you keep bailing them out, they'll never turn to the Lord. If you keep stepping in, they'll never turn to the Lord. And you know, you and Nicole know, this is a hard thing to do. That's why it's called tough love. But we believe the final story of the life of your daughter and the final story of my life was yet to be written. And if there's life, there's breath and there's hope. And so just to be an encouragement to you, hang in there, trust the Lord and really believe God will bring them back to himself. And that's what we're believing. I love it. Would you say at this point in your life now, 20 years past that, and I'm sure if we took a deeper dive and said, hey, what other challenges have you faced in the last 20 years? Life has not been without challenges, I am sure, over the last 20 years. But would you say, even looking back on that challenge of addiction and coming through that season, how do you view it now? I doubt you'd say you're glad you went through it, but how do you use that now? How has God used that in your life? Is it a platform? Do you feel like it's an asset to you? How do you view that challenge? Yeah, that's a good question. So I don't know if I'd say I enjoyed it or am excited about it, but I am thankful that I went through it. 
Because what the Lord showed me was, and part of my testimony is after I accepted Christ, I started preaching. I actually relapsed, went back to the drug world to save two of my friends who were still doing heroin and cocaine, thinking I was invincible. Like I'm a preacher. I'm speaking for the Lord. I'm I'm a believer. I'm set free from drugs. I'm untouchable. I'm not going to go back to that. And I remember going back to one of my friends and saying, hey, Eloy, his name was Eloy and the other one was Brandon, both of whom have died. Both of these guys passed away in the last five years. And I went to Eloy and I said, hey, do you mind if I share Christ with you and what the Lord's doing in my life? And he said, no, no, of course not. Do you mind if I roll a joint while you do it? And I'm like, no, what are we talking about? I'm not going to do that. I'm over that. And within two weeks, I don't even know how it happened, but I can't even put a finger on it. But I just remember in two weeks, I'm back on drugs, heroin and cocaine again, as a preacher, as a believer. And here's the insight. This is why people relapse when they go back to the world on drugs, they die. Because what happens is when you pick up a drug addiction or alcoholism or anything, you never start over. Watch this. You pick up where you left off. So here's how you think about it. The moment you start, and I tell my two boys, you don't need to try drugs and alcohol. I promise you, you're not going to miss much by doing this. Because here's what happens. The moment you start drinking or doing drugs, a train takes off from the station. And the train starts going on the track. Now, many people, by God's grace, get off the track, particularly if they have a propensity to addiction. You get off the track, stop one, stop two, and it's never easy when you jump off a train. There's wreckage and carnage, but you make it. You get off the train. Now, here's how the thing works. When you're off the train, the train never stops. It keeps going. And when you relapse, if you do, and many people do at times, you pick the train back up as it's already traveled. You never go back to the station. And this is why it's important to realize you never start over. You pick up where you left off. And that's why relapse is so damaging for people who do that. Absolutely. That's a great analogy. If you could go back in time, Robbie, and you could speak to your younger self before all that, what advice would you give yourself? I think, what was the motivation? What propelled this addiction? What perpetuated it for so long? I think I would tell myself these two lines, and I constantly repeat this to myself. Robbie, you have nothing to prove and no one to impress. Because I felt like, you know, I have a propensity to seeking approval. I'm a recovering approval seeker. I know how to fish for the best compliments. I know what pond to fish in and what kind of lure catches them. I know how to blur the lines between the cause of Christ and the platform of Robbie. I'm the best at all those things, right? At least I used to be, and I'm trying to recover from that. But I realized a lot of the things I was doing was for the approval of others. And I was trying to be someone I was not. And God, through his grace over the past few years, as you know this story, God has really stripped me of a lot of that. And so I would just say that to you, if you're listening, you have nothing to prove and no one to impress. The greatest freedom in life is that you have no one to impress. When you can get there, I'm just telling you, and you just be who you are and you live for the Lord and you don't have to worry about Facebook posts and Instagram likes and people retweeting posts and you just do what God's called you to do. I mean, there's such freedom in that. So much freedom in that. And for me personally, it's a constant struggle too, because I'm drawn to be concerned about those things and what people think and have to keep refocusing and recentering on exactly what you said. And I remember somebody saying, and I've realized this to be true. Hey, people aren't near as worried about you, Alan, or any of us as we think they're too busy worrying about what other people are thinking about them. You know, everybody (laughs) really is kind of in their own little world, so to speak. 
And we just worry way too much about what people are thinking who aren't even thinking about us most of the time. You know, right. we're the ones thinking about us. What is one piece of advice that you could give to somebody who's listening to this episode right now and, and they're in the midst of their struggle? And again, it may be a loved one with addiction, struggling with addiction. It may be financial challenges. It may be a marriage challenge. It may be a whole host of things, a health challenge. What's one or more pieces of advice you might give to someone right in the midst of the fire, so to speak? Yeah. So I would say God's greatest instrument for spiritual formation, character formation is suffering. Now, the challenge for us, particularly in the church, is that many times when we suffer, you know this, at many prayer meetings, we're praying for everything to be removed, every kind of suffering, every obstacle in our way to be leveled. And God's like, no, no, hang in there because that's where I do the best work. And one of the ways I learned this, I alluded to earlier, was losing everything in Katrina. When Candy and I, living in New Orleans at the time, I mean, I was used to storms. We had gone through them most of my life. And thankfully, we left and went to Baton Rouge and evacuated. And our home experienced eight feet of water. We had in our home, my parents' home had 12 feet of water, and my sister's home had 15 feet of water. Wow. So we lost everything, not just our possessions. You got to realize we never went back. So we lost our culture. We lost our identity. We lost our relationships. We lost our friendships. We lost everything. Our customs we're used to. The food, I mean, not bitter, just saying we lost the food, right? <laughs> but we evacuated and we had to rebuild our life. We packed everything we owned. Candy and I were married for nine months, Alan, and we packed everything we owned in one suitcase. We left the computers. We left the pictures of me growing up, all the videos of me playing sports. We left the book collection. We left our car. I mean, everything. And here's what the Lord had to teach me. I had to lose everything to realize I didn't need anything. That was a hard lesson to learn because for years I was trying to be successful. And even in the drug world, I wanted to be the guy who walked in the club and everybody knew me. And I wanted to be the guy who had the nice car and the nice rims. And so I had to learn this lesson. I had to learn it twice. I said I learned, learned, learned it the first time, but I didn't learn it completely. And here's the thing about suffering. If you're suffering right now of any kind, you need to realize suffering is the master's degree of character formation. There are some lessons in life that we will never learn otherwise than going through suffering. The perfect example of this is a, a girl named Helen Keller, and we're probably familiar with Helen Keller. The story in Helen was that 19 years old, she has this unknown illness that causes her to go deaf and blind. So she can't hear and she can't see. And at the age of 19, she's disabled. She goes on to get a bachelor's degree at that time. She's the first person who is deaf and blind to be able to get a bachelor's degree. She wrote 14 books. She toured 35 countries. She gave hundreds of speeches all over the world. And so you would think someone with a disability would have excuse after excuse. Here's what she says. It's one of my favorite quotes from her. She says, character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through the experience of trial and suffering can a soul be strengthened with ambition that's inspired and success that is achieved? And so if anybody could have thrown in the towel and said, you know what, I'm deaf and I'm blind and, I, and I'm not able to, to do anything, it would have been her. And the line I want to share with you that I think about in this is this, the greatest opportunity in your life lives where the greatest discomfort lies. This is a great line to think about. The greatest opportunity lives and your life where the greatest discomfort lies. And I said this, like God works the best in the most difficult seasons of life. And 
we know this if you ever go hiking you never see if you, if you ascend the hill of the mountain or you make it to the top of the peak you never see anything growing up top right nothing grows at the peak of the mountain the flowers grow in the valley someone i've listened to recently and gotten into some of his books is a guy named jordan peterson if you're familiar with jordan peterson yep. peterson said this line he says happiness is always found in the uphill journey not in the fleeting sense of happiness at the next peak i love that so it's not found in the fleeting sense of happiness we think of conquering the next hill it's found in the journey upward and so my encouragement to those who are suffering or in a season of a trial or a tribulation bloom where you're planted realize that in god's economy there are no accidents nothing happens by chance i love what agent rogers used to say did it ever occur to you that nothing occurs to God? It's interesting. Well, that's encouraging for us, right? And if you're suffering, I tell our staff all the time, when you do great things for God, you're going to be attacked. In fact, if you're on a road and you never bump into Satan, you may be going the same direction. Right. And so just be encouraged today with suffering. God uses that. So good, Robbie. So good. You said suffering is the master's degree of character? Character, character. Yep. That's that's a oh, lot good. I just came up with to think about how character formation really forming up our character. I love it. And I love that Helen Keller quote you mentioned as well. And I was gonna ask you, that was the next question I was gonna ask you if you had a favorite success quote. Would that be it or another one that would come to mind? Let's see. So the greatest lesson I learned was actually at 19 when I heard Zig Ziglar preach. I was all in the motivational speakers. I, I mean, I've read all the books, Think and Grow Rich, Unlimited Power by Tony. I mean, I read them all. I met Tony Robbins a couple of times and heard Zig Ziglar, Les Brown, Omar Perry. I mean, I was into all of them. And I remember Zig Ziglar saying this line, and I'm telling you, it was like the Lord knew at 19 I would need this in the ministry. He said this line, if you help enough other people get what they want in life, you know this line. I love it. You'll have everything in life you'll want. Now, that is the antithesis of human nature, right? Because in human nature, you know, the American way is get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the lid, right? That's the American way. Right. But Zig was basically saying that success is through the pathway of serving and giving. Now, he got this, obviously, Zig was a believer. Zig got this from Jesus. Remember, Jesus was trying to teach the disciples all the time. The way up is down. If you want to be first, you have to be last. And to be great, he said in Matthew, I think it was 20 or 21, you have to be a servant. Now, Jesus doesn't just speak it. He lives it right at the Last Supper. He's hanging out at the last meal with the disciples, and he's going to take off his outer garment. He's going to wash disciples' feet, which was the act of a servant, a slave. I mean, this is a slave's job. And Jesus takes the pail of water and he starts to wash. Now, I can understand washing Matthew's feet. I mean, this is a guy who's very grateful to be there, or John's feet, the one he loves. But prideful Peter, he's going to wash his feet. Jealous James, who's jockeying for positions, seats at the table, or backstabbing Judas. I mean, come on, Jesus, really? But Jesus washes their feet. And it shows us that the way up is down and the way to success is serving. Martin Luther King Jr. had a great line in his final sermon. This is a great sermon that he preaches right before being assassinated. He says this, and I wrote it down. Here's what he said. He said, everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to know subject verb agreement to serve. 
You don't need to know the philosophers Plato and Aristotle. You don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity or the second theory of thermodynamics and physics to serve. And basically, he was saying everybody can serve. And listen, that's the difference between money and wealth. There's a big difference between money and wealth. A lot of people could have money. And you always think, man, if I had more money, I'll be successful. No, if you have more money, you just exacerbate the problems you had when you had no money. It just amplifies the problems you already had. And so I would just encourage you, Jim Elliott said this, he said, a man is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to have what he cannot lose. And listen, we can't take it with us. There's no U-Haul behind a hearse. I've never seen one. I've done many funerals out. I've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse before. So one of the things I want to leave is legacy. And the way you leave legacy is not on the books you write or the talks you give. And I know you've spoken many talks or the products you sell or the church you build, but it's on the hearts of the men and women you invest in. And so that's why I've given my life to investing in people because people, you know, there's only three things in life that are eternal, God, his word, and the souls of men and women. And I don't know about you. I want to invest in things that have eternal significance. 100%. I like to say my goal in life is to be a relationship investor. I want to invest into relationships and those can have eternal impact. Like you're talking about, you're right about money too. What I've learned over the years is money just accentuates what the person already is. You know, a giving person with more money has more to give. A stingy person with more money is more to hoard. It's interesting how that works. And I love all the nuggets that you shared right there. There was a bunch of good stuff. And I'm glad someone can hit the rewind and listen to that again, because there was so many nuggets there. And the Zig Ziglar quote was great. It makes me sad. You kind of mentioned this, but all of the personal development and the personal growth stuff, I've read a lot of the same stuff I'm sure you have. And 99% of it, I believe, is can be tied right back to biblical principles. If they're good principles and they're sound, 100% of them can be tied back to the Bible, in my opinion. And what makes me sad is to see the lost world around us sometimes applying those biblical principles better than those of us that say we believe God's word, mm -hmm. which is where most of it comes from. Such good stuff. And that was just a great example of that Zig Ziglar quote, which is one of my favorites as well. Robbie, what would you say when you think about the future that you're most excited about? Maybe something you're doing, you're working on, anything that is exciting you about the future ahead? I would say me personally, I'm excited more than I've ever been about investing in my two boys. You hear this all the time. The legacy is your children. You need to invest in your children. But I've been more convicted and more excited about the first church that I pastor. And, and by the way, everybody in here is a ministry, whether you believe it or not. We all have a ministry. And the best ministry and the greatest ministry you have is the first church of your home. What good is it to lead a congregation of people to heaven while you neglect your kids and they're on a road to hell, right? And so I've been really convicted about that. And one of the things a pastor told me years ago, he said, you can lose your church and still keep your family. But if you lose your family, you lose both. And I'd say it in an organization, if you lose your family and you lose your kids, man, I mean, how discouraging is that? Now, some of you say, well, I have divorced families or I have blended families. You can't change the past, and I don't want you to feel negative or upset or, or guilty, but you can start today. And so here's the thing I'm excited about. The word present, there's a difference between being there and being present, because a lot of us are there at home. We come home from work, we're in the home, but we're not present. Now think about the word present. 
The word present is actually the word for gift. I love presents. I love to receive presents. It's the word for gift. And so when you're present, it's important to be present with your family and with your kids. And so that's one of the things I'm most excited about. My boys, they just turned 12 and 14. And by God's grace, thankfully, dad is still someone they look up to, they want to hang with. And I know, you know, they go through seasons of that, but I know you have a son too that loves to hang with you as well. And there's nothing greater than that. The people in your business, the people in your organization, they will come and go. Someone told me this a while back. They said, Robbie, because I was traveling a lot. I was speaking one year. I was speaking 26 times outside of my church. Four times I was preaching on Sunday and I had a Wednesday night deal. I don't even know how I did it, but I burnt myself out. And what they said is nobody, this is an interesting line, nobody ever asks you to do an event or speak at a conference for your own benefit, always for theirs. And then granted, they, they want you to speak and they think you would add value, but it's really for their benefit. And so what he said is, he said, Robbie, you see those two boys over there? When you're in the funeral home or you're in the hospital, the rest of these folks are not going to visit you when you need them most. But those two boys will. Right. And man, that just changed everything for me. I, I started to realize and it's more than that. I'm not doing it for a law of reciprocity where they'll get back to me. But I just thought, man, I've got an opportunity. I've got a ministry and I want to invest in those boys. And so this past fall, we've had football. Both have played football. They've been in practices in two different schools. And we've had practice every night of the week. And we've had two to four games a week. And we've loved every minute of it. I'm just telling you, it's been awesome. So I love that's it. what I'm most excited about. Such great advice, too, because I think all of us men, women alike, but I can speak for myself as a man. It's so easy. I'll speak for myself to not be where my feet are, to be there, as you said, to be in the room but to slip off mentally to 101 other important things that need to be done or, you know, that I might be working on. But the most important place to be is right there where my feet are. And specifically when my feet are in the same room with a child or my wife or my family. So the ones that will actually be crying at my funeral, as you mentioned, maybe said a different way when many others won't. And that's what fear is too. Fear is, you know, false evidence appearing real fear and worry are you concerned about things that aren't happening? Right. And so when you live in the moment, you live in the present, you live now, you're able to enjoy life a whole lot better than when you're worrying about things in the future that you have really no control about. And most of the time, never happen anyway, right? Exactly. What is the statistic? It's like 80 or 90% of everything that average person fears never comes to fruition. It was not worth fearing. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't even happen. Yes. As we start to wrap this conversation up, Robbie, just some 30 second quick questions for you. What would you say is one a habit that has helped you become successful? This is a long answer, but it's the benefit of silence, solitude, and reflection. I realize that thinking today and contemplating today are a lost art. I mean, we don't think anymore, right? We're the product of a society where we're constantly being connected and interconnected. We're in a sense like cyber zombies that are tethered to digital devices where we endlessly swipe the minute we wake up and the moment we go to bed. And so nobody thinks anymore. Nobody ponders anymore. And so I started the practice of silence and solitude where I would sit for extended periods of time. It started with 10 minutes, got to 20, got to eventually two hours a night. I was just unpacking. I was hearing the voice of God. I was tuning my ear to the accent of the Holy Spirit. And for some of you saying silence and solitude, really? What got me was I realized God's first language was silence, right? Mm. Like out of silence, he spoke everything. 
I just realized how important that was. And so it's good for you to reflect. Uh, Henry Nowen was a priest, but then he was a professor and a psychologist and wrote a lot of books and did a lot of lectures. And then for the last 10 years of his life, he really got convicted, went to a home for the mentally disabled. I don't know if you're familiar with Henry Nowen's his name. He went to the home of a mentally disabled community and decided to leave the world of, he was a professor at Notre Dame. He left that and invested the last 10 years of his life ministering to people who are mentally disabled. Mm. And he said, that's where he found life. And here's what he said, which I thought was interesting. He said, 50% of life is living and 50% of life is reflecting. So what's the point of living if you're not reflecting and making course corrections? And so when I pressed into silence, just to answer your question, we'll be done with that. But I started to sit and reflect upon the day. And so my encouragement to you is live the day and then sometime once a week or once a day where you sit with God and unpack the day and realize, man, that's something I need to work on. Or man, I saw the Lord working in that situation. I learned this from a guy named Ignatius of Loyola. You can do some research if you're interested. It's called the examen. It's basically spelled examine, but they call it examen. E-X-A-M-E-N, consolations and desolations. This is really what was life-changing for me that changed the course of my life, where God began to show me in my own life, Robbie, you've got pride and arrogance and self-sufficiency and jealousy, envy. You're jealous of other people, jealous of other things. And the Lord began to show me these things, and it was through that suffering and that burden that became a blessing in my own life. Wow. Why the evening? Would you say if someone's listening going, okay, quiet time, I can see that benefit. Maybe they do it already. Maybe not. Why evening over morning? For me, because I wanted to reflect on the day when it was still fresh. Mm. I would put the kids to bed. I would always try to tuck them in, pray with them, maybe read to them, put them to bed. And then I would always go out from about 830 to about 10. And again, why do you do this? You can't export to someone else what hasn't been imported to you. We like to say at the church here, you can't take someone on a journey you've never been on. And so you want to be able to live these things. These aren't just intellectual, theoretical concepts. The best and most powerful truths you can communicate are things you know personally, you've felt and touched and sensed. And so I would just say that has been the most life-changing spiritual practice of my life over the last two years. You've heard me talk about it at church a lot. Silence and solitude has been the key. Love it. Such a good word. What is one of the best pieces of advice you've ever received from someone else? I heard Francis Chan say this years ago. He said, and and I agree with him, my greatest fear in life is to succeed at things that have no eternal value. I always just say this when I was leading events years ago, when I was in the network marketing business, I used to say, many of you are going to get to the end of your life and realize that the ladder of success you've been climbing is leaning against the wrong wall. Right. Many of us are going to get to the end of our life and we're going to realize we put a lot of effort and a lot of energy in the wrong baskets. And so I would just say this reflective process we're talking about is good for all of us. I try to go away once a year. And I tried to reflect on things that were good from the year, things that I need to work on and places the Lord are taking me. So I do those three buckets and it's good for us to do that. A lot of tell people is if you don't depart, you're going to come apart. So you have to have a time of getting away and recuperating and, and being restored and rejuvenated. And so I would say everybody needs that at least once a year. I try to do it once a quarter, but at least once a year. So good. Is there one or more books that you would recommend to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway audience? 
So a book that has helped me is The Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Been a great book for me, just walking through some of this soul care stuff in my own life. That has been helpful for me. Jordan Peterson's book I read recently, The 12 Rules of Life, have been really good. Stand up with your shoulders back. I mean, he's got a lot of good principles in there that are good to help. Don't tell someone how to fix the world if you're not taking care of your own home. I mean, he's got a lot of good principles there. And a book I just started reading, and I'd hesitate to share it, but up to this point, it's been pretty amazing, is called The 5 A.M. Club by Robin Sharman, I think is the name. Have you heard of this? I have not. Listen, I don't even know how I found this. I was literally this summer in Barnes and Noble waiting for my kids to buy Funko Pops or something, you know, on vacations. <laughs> so I'm just like walking the aisles and I find this book. So he wrote the book called The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari, which is an interesting title, but it's a fable. You would love this book. I'm telling you a fable of how some of the greatest people who have impacted the world have waken up before the sun came up. And obviously we do this already. I get up at six o'clock. I don't get up at five, but I get up at six every day. That's a whole hour more, but I haven't gotten to the part of the neuroscience and the psychological part, but he has a fable in the first part that has just got me locked in. I mean, I couldn't put the book down. I only read it for two days now, but I read like a hundred pages of two days. I could not put this book down at night. So anyway, the 5 a.m. club is another one. I love it. Well, I was going to ask you, you know, your morning routine, but now I at least know 6 a.m. is the time. Yeah, I work out and I get in the word. I work out and get in the word every day and I have to have a release physically. It gets the endorphins. It reduces the cortisol in the body. So I have to get up and work out. I've done this for about 25 years and I have to do that. And I like to start with the word and spend time with the Lord. Love it. Love it. So good. And of course, I can highly recommend every one of Robbie's books that I've read since you're talking about other books, Robbie. They've all been such a huge encouragement to me, Nicole, and even our children, the ones that they've read, especially, like you said, your story, been just a huge encouragement to all of us, especially walking through what we've walked through and are still walking through. So I want to thank you for that. How can others who are listening follow along your journey or connect with you? What's the best way for people to do that? I would say you can connect with our church, longhollow.com is the website. You can tune in to our sermons on Sunday. And then I have a ministry I started 15 years ago called Replicate, which a lot of the resources you're talking about, growing up, firmly planted, bearing fruit. We have a Bible study plan. My wife and I created one for the Old Testament, one for the New Testament, one for the old and new. So if you're interested in that, and you can get all that for free at the website. And that ministry is called Replicate. Replicate Replicate.org is the name of the site. And so you can connect there. You can connect with me on Instagram and Twitter, although I've kind of throttled that back because of my own propensity to want to build a platform and my own propensity to do that. And, and I'm still trying to figure this out. You can help me with some of this as well. But I just realized that when I'm detached from those things, my life is not as stressed and overwhelmed as it would be if I'm kind of tethered to the news and destruction and bad things happening. But you can connect with me online on Instagram, rgality, Robbie Gality, but rgality is the connection. Yeah. Gotcha. rgality is the username. Good deal. Any closing comment that you might want to share before we wrap it up here? And again, this has been amazing. Thank you for your time. I, I just want to leave you with some encouragement. I lived my whole life for 27 years, 26 years without the Lord. And people say, well, I'm spiritual, I'm not religious, and I'm Catholic, and I'm not Baptist, or I'm Presbyterian, not Methodist. I want to just take all that away for a moment. What's changed my life, and I think you would say the same, is a personal relationship with a person named Jesus. 
And it's when I surrender, and I'm not talking about like lip service or walking an aisle or getting hyped up at a camp or even getting wet in the water. I'm talking about like a personal walk with Jesus, a total surrender to Christ. It's when I totally surrendered everything. And the way I, I liken it is I took the keys of my life, which was a car, and gave it to Jesus and got in the passenger seat. But I realized I couldn't stay in the passenger seat because I'd be tempted to grab the wheel. So I got in the back seat. But when I got in the back seat, I knew I'd be tempted to reach across to the front. So what I did was, it's a perfect picture of surrender. I gave Jesus the keys, got into the trunk, pulled the lid and said, Jesus, through the keyhole, I whispered, drive this car wherever you will, I'm yours. And that is what I'm talking about in surrender. And so when I did that, everything changed. Now, it wasn't easy. Jesus never promises an easy road. He just promises that he'll be with us in presence and power. And so I would just say to the audience listening, the greatest thing you can do is to be curious and seek out a relationship with Jesus. And so start reading the gospel of John, start spending time listening to God. And I promise you, it would be life-changing, not only for today, but for eternity. What a great way to go out on some awesome advice. Robbie, thank you so much once again for taking your time out of your, I know, extremely busy day to come on here and share a bunch of wisdom and be raw and real and authentic. And that's another thing that I just love about you is you're not afraid to share what you've been through full disclosure. And I know that is why you've impacted so many lives, including our own. It's also why God, I believe, continues to bless your work. So thank you again for taking time to be with us. Man, it's a joy. I love you and Nicole and your family. And just for those listening, man, you live what you teach and there's authenticity there and there's integrity. And so, man, just nothing but blessings to you guys. Thank you, brother. If you love this podcast, grab some of Alan's free resources on his website at alanblain.com, spelled A-L-L-A-N-B-L-A-I-N.com. You can also find links to Alan's Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok there in his contact page. Lastly, if you can leave a five-star review for us on your favorite podcast app, that will get these messages out to more people and it will really mean the world to us. Thanks in advance and make it a great day.